Good Friday on this Good Friday edition of A Difference in Thought. For those of you who it's the first time that you're listening, A Difference in Thought engages and processes recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought uh, as you now know this podcast is an honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Our core philosophy here is basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Before considering what difference you'd like to see in the world, consider where you are willing to make a subtraction. This is uh, episode number six entitled non-racist or anti-racist Good Friday Jesus and Stefan Clark now some of you may be wondering what in the world <laughs> does that have to do with Good Friday man you must be you, you must be stretching these um, stretching these interpretations a little bit there now man now we're going to talk about a story in the narrative of Good Friday that isn't as popular as uh, the crucifixion or seven last words, right? Which is a very popular thing. I'm talking about a character by the name of Pontius Pilate and an interaction that he had with his wife that is a critical lesson we can learn from Good Friday due to uh, recent events such as Stephon Clark. And have you ever considered Jesus as someone who went through the criminal justice system? Uh, an innocent person who died at the hands of state-sanctioned police brutality. Have you ever thought of Jesus like that? Have you ever meditated on that reality and what that means for our society today on Good Friday? Now, uh, non-racist or anti-racist, is there a meaningful difference uh, within those things? Now, just because you are uh, non, you're, you're, you are, not for something doesn't mean that you're actively acting against something. So we see this all the time when we talk about bullying in schools uh, or if you see something, say something type of thing. So say, so say someone uh, in their school doesn't like to see someone getting bullied. And so they may see this person getting stuffed in a locker and, uh, uh, beat up or teased or getting things taken from them. And so say a student witnesses this and they say, you know what? I, I never liked bullying. I don't, I never understood why people were like that. That's terrible. Uh, they ought to leave that kid alone. And then he walks away. Now that is non-bullying. That is saying, I'm not bullying. I don't like bullying, but guess what? That's not, that's not anti-bullying because anti-bullying is intervening uh, anti-bullying is notifying the authorities that need to be notified. Uh, anti-bullying is uh, making sure there are things in place that uh, are reflected on the record of someone who actually does bu- who does bully. Uh, that is changing how you associate with people that bully. That is anti-bullying. That is that is 
uh, anti-bullying is also getting in and getting involved in, in, in educating the bully so that they <laughs> we, we understand why they're doing what they're doing and hopefully put them on a, on a, a trajectory in life that prevents them from doing it. That is anti-bullying, right? Uh, and so this, this uh, podcast is about the art of truth-telling or the process of truth-telling. And one aspect that we're going to examine today about truth-telling is that truth-telling has a lot to do with what I like to call extending the finish line. So uh, you see this a lot with uh, Thurgood Marshall. He had a lot of civil rights victories and a lot of uh, things at the Supreme Court. And after Brown versus Board of Education, everybody wanted to celebrate. And he said something very important. He said, do not be sedated by success. He's basically saying, don't get so caught up in progress that you think there is no more progress to be made. Again, don't get so caught up in progress that you think there is no more progress to be made. And so while it's great that some have said, hey, I'm not racist, uh, the unfortunate truth is uh, it takes more than you just not being racist on an individual level. Uh, It takes more than that to undo all that racism has done and continues to do. Uh, So we're talking about extending the finish line. And so I, the job of the truth teller is to say, Hey, good job. But also you see this reflected with Jesus when, uh, when he's talking to the churches in revelations and his whole pattern. And you see this a lot in the writings of apostle Paul, where he will say, Hey, I've heard, great things about this, or, or uh, Jesus says, I love how you endured persecution and suffering, but you've forsaken your first love. So he's saying, yes, congratulations on the progress so far, but there is still so much uh, further that we have to travel. Don't settle here. There is a greater finish line to to go through. Another reason why non-racism versus anti-racism are very much different, uh, are very much how they are measured. Now, someone can say, I'm not racist, or you, or if you're talking about a historical figure, you can say, well, you can't prove that they weren't, you know, you can't prove that they were racist. I don't think they were, I don't think they were racist, but it completely changes when you say, okay, maybe they weren't racist, but I can say that they were not anti-racist. Uh, I was... <laughs> I was talking to uh, a brother on Twitter and he was, uh, I don't know how he was, you know, when you start losing an argument and you start throwing all these different categories or his uh, podcast I listened to, uh, C4, uh, he says, uh, changing the goalpost, right? Uh, so this, this, this brother, uh, we were talking about why, why it's important to change the name of a school of a confederate um, and they were all talking about, oh, well, you know, if you do your, re-, you know, that's whole, whole history, not, not, uh, uh, history, not hate, or different things like that. Uh, so he's saying, well, you know, Robert E. Lee, he wasn't he wasn't a racist if you do your research. And I told that brother, uh, hey, <laughs> I don't care if that brother was a non-racist. I care if that brother was an anti-racist. And it's very clear to see uh, with his life and how he used his resources and how he used his power that that brother was not anti-racist. Uh the brother recognized that this was a completely different conversation and radio silence, right? <laughs> so we're, we're talking about the difference between non-racist or are we being anti-racist? And so when I'm talking about non-something and anti-something, let me give you some examples, right? Uh, and so for those who, who are listening, you know um, that this this uh, podcast is dedicated to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So you have Reverend episodes and you have Dr. episodes. So this is kind of a little bit of both. Right now, we're going we're, we're gonna to call this a reverend episode right now. Um, so, when Jesus encounters corrupt people at the temple, and he's, he's, he's filled with anger, uh, he doesn't just say, you know what? I'm, I'm not pro-corruption. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that they're charging these poor people uh, money in order to get into a house of prayer. You know what? A house of prayer should be free. That's what I believe. I don't believe in this. He didn't just, you know, say that to the disciples and walk over. What does Jesus do? Jesus does an action that makes it clear that he is 
anti-corruption, right? And so he goes over to the uh, tables or, or the means by how they were practicing their corruption and he flips it and renders it uh, unable to be used. And so he flips over the table and says, not only am I not non-corrupt, I am anti-corruption. And so he renders the way, the, the, the methods uh, and avenues by which what he opposes, uh, he renders them unable for future use. Uh, when you think about the Apostle Paul openly rebuking Peter, not only does he write uh, Galatians and Ephesians 4 and talks about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not against separating Jews and Gentiles, right? I'm, I'm not racist, right? But when Peter uh, is practicing in secret uh, pretty much racism, uh, Apostle Paul openly confronts him. He takes it out of... Uh, the secret avenue that Peter was using, and he calls him out on it and says, not only am I non-racist, but I'm anti-racist, and I'm going to use my power, my authority to render the way that you use this thing that I oppose uh, unable to be used. So that the next time Peter says, says, says it, Peter can no longer operate in secret because everybody knows, oh man, look at Peter. He's still doing what Paul called him out, right? He uses, he uses that. Jesus in his time, Women were not allowed to be uh, used as witnesses. Uh, and so what Jesus uh, does is when he first returns, he appears to two women and makes them witnesses. So he says, not only am I, am I non-sexist, not, so not am I just a viewer, you know, I'm not just viewing in disgust, but I am actively using my power and influence to counter what I don't believe in. Anti-sexist. Right. Um, and you see this um, when you talk about uh, Jesus saying being lukewarm. Like either you're going to be cold or you're going to be hot. But I'm not for this whole back and forth or, or just this 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 silent uh, sitting in silent judgment. What are you doing to counter the things that you don't believe in? Right. Um, Dr. King uh uh, saw this when if you have his book uh where do we go from here chaos or community um <laughs> he talks about he talks about uh people who joined in the movement to be anti-racist versus the more subtle non-racist so he um he sees uh he's speaking about um he just got finished speaking about people, white white allies who were actually anti-racist. And now he's saying, but these were the best of America, not all of America. Elsewhere, the commitment was shallower. Conscious, conscience burned only dimly. And when atrocious behavior was curbed, the spirit settled easily into well-padded pockets of complacency. Justice at the deepest level had but few stalwart champions. A good many observers have remarked that if equality could come at once, the Negro would not be ready for it. I submit that the white American is even more unprepared. Uh, and then Gilear says, whites, it must frankly be said, are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. Uh, the reality of substantial investment to assist Negroes into the 20th century adjusting to Negro neighborhoods and genuine school integration is still a nightmare for all too many white Americans. Uh, he later says significant progress has effectively been barred by the cunning obstruction of segregationists. It has been barred by equivocations and retreats of government, the same government that was exultant when it sought political credit for enacting the measures. Uh, uh, thus America with segregationist obstruction and majority indifference silently nibbled away at a promise of true equality. Um, uh, with each modest advance, the white population promptly raises the argument that the Negro has come far enough. 
uh, each step forward accents an ever-present tendency to backlash. And so here he's, he's saying uh, what's holding us back are pro-racist and uh, non-racist. <laughs> right? He's saying what's holding us back is that when he says uh, the deepest uh, uh, uh Calls need of justice has 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 fewer people that are that are championing it. So he's saying there are less uh, anti-racists than there are non-racists, right? And so he's saying being being complacent and saying I think we've done enough is not what is required to actually get the job done, right? And so when when we talk about uh, the narrative of Good Friday, we see right in the middle of all this is a very powerful person, a very influential person, a person who is actually capable of of uh, preventing this from happening uh, in, in the character of Pontius Pilate. Here, um, here you have the Pharisees and people that oppose Jesus are bringing trumped up charges against Jesus in ways that don't even, that don't even match the law. Crucifixion was reserved for those who specifically uh, were in rebellion to Caesar. Uh, and when you see Jesus saying, render unto Caesar is what is Caesar's. And he says, I'm a king, but not of this world. Uh, Pontius Pilate is kind of saying, hey man, I don't see how this is really lining up with our law. What's, what's, what's going on here? Uh, and his wife receives a vision and uh, it doesn't, it doesn't say whether it's a divine vision, uh, but, but uh, it, it seems that it, it was a divine, a, a divine vision uh, that troubles her so much that she tells Pontius, Hey, this is an innocent man. Do not, <laughs> do not give death over to this innocent man. Now I know a lot of times when we talk about this, right? You say, whoa, whoa, Jesus was destined to die. And this is, but let's, let's, let's talk about this just from the aspect of the decision. Because when we get on later, while Jesus might've been destined to die, uh, Stefan Clark was not, Alton Sterling was not, Sandra Bland was not, Tamir Rice was not, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But we're still talking about the same, uh, 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 a bad use of power. So Pontius Pilate is here with this decision and he sees, and, and the, the scriptures even say, if you're reading Matthew 27, he says that he knew this was just about envy. He just, he knew that the Pharisees just were hating. Like this, it didn't make good legal sense. Yet, because he saw that the crowd was against him, uh, and if you, uh, and if, you know, of course, if this is true, in the gospel of Nicodemus, Pontius Pilate isn't convinced until he finds out that Jesus was the child that Herod was seeking. So um, once it was a threat to his power, a threat to his popularity, um, and maybe even a threat to his safety, then he removed himself from the situation. Uh, even though he was warned by a dream, even though he knew <laughs> it was it, it was the right thing to do, and what he says is he convinces himself and and actually, this is, if you study Deuteronomy 21, um, 7, the act is, if you find somebody, if, if uh, Israel found someone who was dead and they didn't know what happened, uh, they were to make a sacrifice and then they were to wash their hands and uh, pretty much tell God, like, hey, we're not, we're not, please don't hold us responsible for this. So uh, Pontius Pilate uh, washes his hands of this in a way of saying, hey, bro, it's not on me. I'm not, I'm a, I'm non-crucifixion, <laughs> right? Even though he had power within his hand to be anti-crucifixion, he stops at being non-crucifixion. And of course, that then does not make a difference for the thing that he opposes. So it's not enough for us to be opposed, uh, you know, opposed to something. We must actually take action to counter and undo what is being done. Uh, and here you see Pontius, Pontius Pilate's wife. Now she, she was troubled in her spirit, but not only was she troubled in non-crucifixion, she used her power and her voice to try and influence her husband and to actually be 
anti-crucifixion. Um, and actually, she is she is uh, observed as a saint in in uh, the Ethiopian Church. Uh, I believe the Catholic Church uh, uh, views her as a saint actually for for what she uh, for what she 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 tried to do. And so when we're talking about uh, non-racism or anti-racism, we have to talk about how does how does racism still exist uh, for those who want to. You know, we talked about this in the divisive origins of whiteness, examining the uh, America's racial caste system. I believe that's episode number three, and if, and also in episode number two, we talked about uh, the principle of your politeness isn't that powerful, <laughs> right? Um, and we talk about the myth that politeness is all that is required to undo racism, or pretty much non-racism, right? Just just don't be racist. Be polite. Don't be racist. But really, the call, and as you see in these examples that I shared biblically, the, the call is to uh, be anti, right? Um, so so the, the, the command of the Bible that says, abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. That's saying, like, you, you, should, you should abhor evil and counter it by, by uh, clinging to what is good. Or the Bible says, do not be overcome by evil. It doesn't stop there. It says, but overcome evil with good. And so it's saying, uh, if there's evil in your life, don't just say, well, I, I'm not overcome by evil. I don't do evil. But the next level and extending the finish line is saying, but overcome evil with good. So what is the good that we need to overcome evil with? And so don't be overcome by evil. That's non-racist, right? Overcome evil with good. That's anti-racism, right? Or anti-sexism or anti-classism, uh, right? So it's not just to say, well, hey, it's, it's, it's not me and wash your hands like Pontius Pilate, but it's also about how can I oppose these things and how are we called to, to dismantle the things that uphold the things we don't like. So, so I want to talk about, and I gave this um, a little bit in episode three, uh, how racism or most thoughts are sustained. So whether you want to use racism, you want to use sexism, you want to use classism, uh, you want to use moralism, all, all, all these, all these, all these things. It's broken down into thoughts, customs, laws, and traditions. I'm going to say it again. Thoughts, Customs, laws, traditions, right? So um, thoughts, we're talking about stereotypes and we're talking about stigma, right? So uh, we talked about this a little bit in episode number three where part of the racial caste system in America is that there was a criminalized presence or a sense of inferiority or a stigma assigned to black people, right? Uh, and when you get into sexism, uh, it is it is a sexualization, uh, a sexualized presence that is that is attached to women, right? Where oh, it's the only reason she's in the room is for my sexual pleasure, either for me to to look at or or you or it labels women as only uh, as inferior or only as potential sexual exploits, right? Classism does the same thing. It's talking about poor people. Well, poor people, they're they're uh, in, inherently criminal, or they're not smart, or they're there because they're lazy. Uh, uh, it is it is a stereotypes or stigma that are assigned to people, uh, and then you get to customs, right? And so uh, from from that thought, uh, you then develop a custom on that, right? Uh, or, or some people might say a, a prejudice, right? So then the custom is, well, don't don't date these people, or uh, so so we'll we'll we'll, we'll try and stay with. So within racism, it's like might be your custom is, hey, don't date don't date uh, people of color, <laughs> or don't date white people. Hey, I mean it, in that in that area, some uh, sometimes too, don't promote. Uh, those people. And we talk about that in last week's episode about Black Careers Matter, right? Uh, who do you select to lead? That can be within a church. 
right? And who you who you seek to further and who you seek to uh, support. A custom also might be don't believe these people, <laughs> right? And so you you see that a lot uh, during times of grief when uh, black people are, are, are mourning that uh, instead of, especially within a church context, uh, you don't get uh, weep with those who weep. You get question those who weep or interrogate those who weep or doubt those who weep, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and so those, then there are, are, there are those customs that are held societally, no matter what the laws are. Then, then you can actually get into actual laws. And we talked about that in uh, episode three as well. Uh, where we talk, where we talked about the slave codes, or we can talk about segregation. We can talk about redlining. We can talk about uh, the new form of segregation uh, and uh, inequity in school systems, a war on drugs, and and the the drugs that black people used uh, have high carrying higher sentences than the drugs that uh, that white people used. Or you can talk about marijuana becoming illegal until it becomes a business plan for a white person out in California, and then all of a sudden they can make money off of it and have a show on CNN or whatever channel that was about marijuana Inc. or whatever about it. While the same people of dark skin are sitting in prison for the exact same thing they're getting celebrated for on television, they have laws. And then you have traditions. Traditions, I like to think of, are uh, inherited privilege or uh, injustice that has been passed on uh, generationally. So you can think about you can think about monuments, right? Um, uh, monuments celebrating people that uh, dehumanized other people, and how that still is a tradition of honor in that city. You can think about team names. You can think about the Redskins. You can think about, uh, school names. You can think about, uh, you can think about, uh, uh, culture who has more power, who has more resources, uh, things of these traditions. And so the a reason why I went through all that thoughts, customs, laws, traditions is because if you're just non-racist, that might mean your thoughts, it might, it, it may mean that your thoughts have changed. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean that that touches customs. That doesn't mean that changes laws. That doesn't mean that that changes tradition. So it's not enough to carry us over the finish line. You have to actually be, uh, anti something. And so, uh, when we look into the Bible for, um, what uh, John the Baptist is speaking about bearing fruits of repentance, uh, what does countering actually look like, right? When you see Zacchaeus, uh, and this is this is kind of actually a form of reparations that you can see in the Bible. When Jesus comes to Zacchaeus's house, uh, Zacchaeus says, "Hey, man, I, I've uh, thank you for coming to my house. Uh, hey, I've been corrupt and I've cheated people. So hey, there you see that he's saying, "Hey, I'm trying to I'm trying to move towards non-corruption." But Jesus doesn't say salvation comes to your home now after Zacchaeus simply said, I'm seeking to be non-corrupt. Zacchaeus said, and not only am I confessing that I'm non-corrupt, I'm repenting and I will pay back double uh, those who I have cheated. He actually might have might have gone above that. And after that, Jesus then says, well, great salvation now has come to your house. Right. And so. Uh, that 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 so Jesus essentially is in, is is in endorsing his decision once he chooses to counter racism. So what what does it mean to uh, counter racism, sexism, classism? We have to go with thoughts. Who is informing my thoughts? Uh, okay, your news station that you watch might be non-racist, but is it? anti-racist? Does it work to undo and share stories that uplift the, the current stereotype? Or is it, oh, look, another black person murdered somebody again. You know how they are, right? <laughs> the news that you read, the, the, the websites that you frequent, the media that you consume. Uh, this is especially true of sexism. Uh, the media that you consume, okay, it, it may be non-sexist, but is it anti-sexist? Does it go out of the way to show women in a new light, in the in the light uh, uh, of 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 honor and dignity and power that they were created in, 
or are we are we just say well at least I don't watch sexist stuff okay but do you support things that try to undo that right especially with with media right and and with Christian films right look I look <laughs> I know there's a God's not dead three but I want a racism's not dead one <laughs> right. Okay, cool, you're non-racist and you have the one black person in the Christian film, but are you actually creating films <laughs> that are anti-racist, that are challenging one? I want to see Racism's Not Dead One, where a black guy like is like at a white church and he's uh, rebuking his church for being racist and they put him on trial for being divisive. <laughs> That's the movie I want to see. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <I'm laughs> uh, are you countering classism? Are you going out of your way to be with people who are of a different class than you? Or are you building your entire life to, to make sure that you don't run into them? Uh, it's it's uh, in, in the way of thoughts. Or when you when people say, oh, that place is ghetto. I don't like to go there. Do you say, uh, not today, fam. Uh, I need you to fix the way that you think. Because those people have dignity. Those people are my friends. And those people are made in the image of God. And you ain't better than any of them. Right. That's completely different than sitting in silence and saying, oh, I can't believe they'd say that. That's that's sad. Well, I know I'm not that. So we're talking about moving from from uh, non-racism, non-classism, non-sexism to actually being anti something. Right. When we talk about anti-racism in police, it was so frustrating to me that after what happened in Baltimore, after Freddie Gray, and Loretta Lynch goes in and uh, does a Department of Justice report on, I think she did the San Francisco Police Department. She did the Baltimore Police Department. Uh, I don't know if she did the NYPD. Uh, but she did San Francisco and just the Baltimore Police Department. And it shows just how um, uh, racist that they were in their thoughts, customs, laws, and traditions, right? Uh, and so I think her, the mayor's name at the time was Stephanie Rawlings Blake. And so she's, you know, she's saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll do more police training and do more community thing. But I was reading through that plan and I didn't see anything where they were actively doing anti-racist things, such as teaching people about bias and saying, hey, the the way that people have been portrayed in society and the traditions of America teach us to fear these people. So, hey, you might be more trigger happy around a person of color because you've been conditioned that way. So let's confront the, the elephant in the room and put you all in situations that can undo or counter uh, or overcome the evil you've learned with good. It was none of that. It was, well, community policing will try harder. And it's like, fam, are we being anti-racist or not? And then when you think about the blue wall where nobody says anything, right? Uh, and that, you, you know, well, I, I think racism is wrong. Okay, well, where were you when your partner was saying racist things and doing corrupt things, right? When you think of the gun trace task force that just happened in Baltimore, we'll be talking about that in a future episode. Uh, fragility has consequences. Um, and the corrupt things that were happening around this this uh, police station where they were robbing people and planting drugs on people and planting guns on people, when you get into it, uh, people as high as, I believe, like the commissioner was signing off on the things that they were doing, again, no one is willing to counter that. If you guys want to see an interesting uh, documentary on police corruption, watch a, um, on Netflix. It's called The 7-5. It's about uh, a corrupt officer named Mike Dowd who pretty much started selling drugs and uh, basically being corrupt and how uh, one of his partners uh, went from first not saying anything to actually joining him, right? Uh, and how it took people within the industry, within the the police force, to actually try and counter what they were doing and bringing charges against them that actually brought it uh, brought it to an end, right? And so we're talking about countering. Uh, it's it's not enough to be uh, it's not enough to be just non-racist. But so many times we stop the finish line there. And this, again, is, is just a lack of understanding how uh, important community is. It's not enough just to say, well, I don't do it. Uh, are we counteracting uh, things that 
that do this. And so when we get into the narrative of of Pontius Pilate, uh, I think uh, Pontius Pilate is a is a harrowing tale of what happens when we surrender our power to act on behalf of the least of these in order to maintain safety, popularity, or false unity. I want to say that again. Uh, Good Friday is also a harrowing tale of what happens when we surrender our power to act on behalf of the least of these in order to maintain safety, popularity, and uh, a false unity, right? Uh, when you know the right thing to do uh, and you don't do it, to you it is a sin. Uh, so if you, if if you don't if you know what is right to do but you don't do it to 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 that person it is a sin. So he's basically saying if you don't move your non into anti it is a sin. <laughs> I know that's that I know it's it's easy to say but I didn't do it but I didn't look. If you do not move your non racism, non sexism, non classism into anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti-classism, it is a sin. So let's talk about, uh, here's a tangible practice you can do to know where you fit on this spectrum of non versus anti. And so let's, let's, let's view it like this. Uh, racism, uh, anti-racism is not about how many black friends you have. It's about how many anti-black things do you oppose? Okay? Anti-racism is not about how many black friends you have. It's how many anti-black initiatives do you oppose? It's also about how many pro-black initiatives do you support, right? It's not just about, hey, I got friends in the conversation. No. <laughs> do you support your friends' endeavors? And do you actively oppose people who do not have their best interest in mind? And when we're talking about thoughts and customs, here's a very simple test that people had recently. Okay, so in your mind, when you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not racist, uh, or if you're assuming that you're anti-racist, right? When Laura Ingram gets on to Fox News and tells LeBron James and athletes that are pushing a anti-racist agenda, when she tells them, shut up and dribble, do you still watch her show? Do you still watch her network? Did you call the network and say, hey, until Laura Ingram apologizes, you don't have my viewership anymore? See, it's completely different to just say, well, I got black friends or, oh, man, that's terrible. It's completely different to, again, change how you participate in the power structure. When there is sexism that you know about, uh, it's not just to say, well, I, you know, I got a lot of friends that are women. Do you support the women in your life? And do you oppose people who clearly do not have their best interest in mind? Do you oppose policies that clearly do not have their best interest in mind? Do you speak truth to power when they try to suppress the voice of women? Uh, if you say that, you know, I treat everybody the same, I, I, you know, whether they're homeless or whether they're poor or whatever. Okay. W what in your life are you doing to actively support and better the, uh, position of the poor? And do you oppose people who, whose, uh, thoughts, actions, or policies would put poor people in a worse situation? I'm not sure if you know right now, but uh, there's a, uh, a minister by the name of Reverend William Barber who is uh, reviving uh, the last uh, act and call 
of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life called the Poor People's Campaign. Do you know that it's happening? Do you know what they're calling for? Are, can, are you working to support those things? Uh, and so that's the difference that we have when we talk about when you know what is good to do, but you don't do it to them. It is sin. It's because when you choose not to do those things, your silence uh, is upholding and sustaining that unjust thing. Uh, we will talk about that in the upcoming episodes and series of uh, Fragility Has Consequences, but that's a difference. Uh, don't just ask, do I have friends, right? Or, or am I not something? Am I actively supporting the causes that I support? And am I actively opposing the things I don't support? And again, that's the scripture. Cling to, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Those are some very good things to do, but we have to accept the reality that if when we see there is good to do and we choose to not do it, that is sin. That's hard to take in, but it's something that we need to uh, we need to consider. And so sometimes barriers to being anti-racism, anti-sexist, and being anti-you know classist is that it's hard to be. Uh, anti-racist if you're colorblind, if you're not involved enough to know that these things are happening and they're affecting people around you. And it's really sad and frustrating as a person of color uh, when to go to a, uh, to have your white brothers and sisters when you're grieving, try and, try and <laughs> question you. Oh, why are you grieving on him? You know, he was just a thug or he was, he had it coming to him. Oh, they found weed in his backpack. And, and it's like, man, <laughs> the Bible says weep with those who weep, not interrogate those who weep. Uh, and it's hard to be, if you have your heart closed off to being able to hear these things, you can miss the worth in people. That is exactly the entire narrative of Good Friday. Jesus was a savior. Jesus was a king. Jesus was a person they were waiting for, praying for, for an etern for for ever since his promise. And they did not recognize him because of safety and popularity, right? Uh, the Pharisees hated Jesus mostly because he took away the attention from them. And he thought they thought he didn't deserve it. Uh Pontius Pilate could have done something if he cared more about Jesus than he did safety, popularity, uh, and even his government, right? He said, oh, oh, shoot, this is, this is, this is who Herod wanted? Oh, well, if, if Herod says it's bad for the, for the nation, then I, I think it's bad for the nation too, right? So there, there are lessons in Good Friday that we, we can apply to situations such as a Stephon Clark. You have a young black man who's who I believe was at his grandmother's house. The police come in, uh, uh, accuse him of having a gun, which he doesn't. And, and the record keeps changing. We thought it was a gun or we thought it was a crowbar. Uh, and uh, then it's just a cell phone. And his autopsy just came back and he was shot in the back six times. Uh and so he was he wasn't even facing him. And it counted it it it, it countered uh their narrative, but we, you, you see this, you see this a lot, uh, where justice is not given. It's almost, it almost is a, a, it's now has almost become a custom and a tradition that if police kill black people, there are no consequences. Now you may be grieved about that, but what are you going to do to counter that? What are you going to do with your life, with your power, with your influence to counter the thought that black lives don't matter? Uh, and if you're opposed to the to the <laughs> if you're opposed to the very concept, maybe not even the organization, but the very concept in the call for black lives matter. And you want to say, well, all lives matter. Well, l listen. It's hard to counter the thought that black lives don't matter, if you have trouble even confessing that black lives do matter without having to group them in to white lives, <laughs> right? On their own, without needing an assist from being grouped with white lives, black lives matter. What are you doing to counter the thought patterns in your group 
uh, and in your sphere of influence. What are you doing to counter that? What are you doing to counter customs that are quick to believe the police over minorities? What are you doing to, uh, to, to counter customs that allow the police to uh, not speak or maintain corruption? Uh, what are you doing to counter those things? Right? What are you doing? Are you even aware of the laws that more disproportionately affect uh, uh, people of color? Are you even aware of them? And if you are aware, what are you doing to counter those things? How are you voting? Who are you voting for? Uh, uh, are you even allowing those conversations to happen in your sphere of influence? How are you countering traditions? How are you looking at examining your life and saying, you know what? I probably shouldn't have this, <laughs> right? Or I, or, Hey, I have this. What's a better way that I could use this, right? Uh, are you supporting those who seek to counter those, those things? Or are we demonizing them because just like Pontius Pilate, we're saying, Hey man, that's not popular. Hey man, you keep talking like that. It's, it, that might affect my safety or, Hey man, you know, it's getting real divisive. We're trying to keep it peaceful right now, man. Like what? Well, we're not trying to hear that right now. Look, you need to fall in line. You need to fall back and, 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 you know, Hey, it is what it is. Right. But these are all the, the, the factors that we see that happened in good Friday when, so we grieve the result, but we don't grieve the process that led up to <laughs> that led up to a good Friday. So th th this is why I want to give a new lens into how we view Good Friday. It is, a, it is the story of a man from a poor side of town who dedicated his life to the service of others, yet still was killed by his government in a brutal way. Uh, That is too often the narrative of African-Americans in society. When you think of Tamir Rice, when you think of Alton Sterling, when you think of, of, of Eric Garner, when you think of Sandra Bland, when you think of all of these names of, of, of people how can you not think of the Good Friday narrative? Inherent in our belief is that the justice system gets it wrong sometimes. But what are we doing to counter that? So as I was just reflecting on, on Good Friday, um, I, you know, and then here on Good Friday today, the autopsy of Stefan Clark came out today as well. Uh, it really, It really made me me think about this, how non is not enough. We have to progress to the point of anti. And so this will be a shorter episode today because I think the challenge is, is blatant, is, 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 is clear, right? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I was talking to some friends of mine and I was saying, uh, uh, no matter how you dress the truth sometimes, you know, it's, it's not sexy. <laughs> it's going to cost us our safety, our popularity. And so especially when we're talking about uh, school inequity, right? Everybody is, is, is upset about the failed system, right? Even this guy that I was talking to on Twitter, right? He's all like, oh, well, 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 what's up with all these broken school systems? Everybody's trying to change names. How about we change the system? And, and, and so I said, hey, well, brother, um, are you engaged? <laughs> what are you doing to counter? Uh, I know me personally, I try and tutor and support those who are affected by, uh, you know, a, a not so great school system. That's how I counter. How do you counter? Radio silence. Because again, there is, uh, there is, a difference between spectators and participants, right? Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to, so what does it mean to not just be a spectator of school systems? Uh, what does it mean to actually counter the way that it is? Because it's so funny where, you know, there are laws that, that say, 
you know, and when you look at uh, the Supreme Court case, Milliken versus Bradley, that uh, Thurgood Marshall said is going to undermine a lot of the work that Brown versus Board of Education did and, it, and, and essentially said, look, you guys cannot, the, the uh, state governments cannot defund uh, people of color's neighborhoods and schools and just leave them and just leave them uh, to rot in a in a failing school system and then prevent them the ability to have access to the white side of town where all the good schools are. And so the way that that happened is that it was it was ruled against so that they couldn't bust these kids out. And so here's what I'm saying. You're sad. If you're sad about the school system, look, there are laws that says you can't bring the students to your neighborhood, but there are no laws prohibiting you from leaving your neighborhood and coming and investing in the lives of where the least of these are following the model of Jesus. He left heaven to come to something not like heaven so that heaven could actually manifest in that place. So when you talk about white flight or black flight or, 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 or specifically white flight, Saying, "Hey, I'm not putting my kids in here." Look, what we what did we just say about Good Friday? Good Friday is a harrowing tale of what happens when we surrender our power to act on behalf of the least of these in order to maintain safety, popularity, or a false unity. A lot of things that keep us from countering uh, is 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 safety. But Jesus says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will indeed find it. It's about forsaking your life and investing your, your life in the lives of your children into school systems that could improve by your presence and your investment. That's literally what Jesus did. If God sent his son, why can't we send ours? <laughs> right? It, it, it's about Jesus looking at us. And, I, and this is some savior mentality. You're saying, oh, we're in heaven and they're in hell. It's not, it's not, it's not like that. First of all, I want to, I want to very clearly say that because I'm not about a savior mentality. I'm talking, I'm not about a savior mentality. I'm talking about uh, adopting the call of our savior. Right. Uh, and and going into the places of the least of these. Right. Or who society considers the least of these, because they they are by no means in reality uh, less than anyone. But I'm saying if that is the call of your heart, it's going to take you overcoming evil with good. But that good is going to cost you safety. That good is going to cost you popularity. What are you doing over there? Why are you eating with them? Why Why do you all, you know, isn't that ghetto? Isn't that, it's going to cost you popularity. And because it's not popular, it may cause divisiveness. Divine divisiveness, right? <laughs> the, that whole, if you, he who loves their family or whatever more than me is not worthy of me. I'm talking about this is what it ta- what, what it takes to counter. And so I'm trying to, just encourage you as I'm coming to a close here. On this Good Friday, think of who Jesus was as a human, right? Who he chose to represent himself as. Uh, and see if you can find the similarities today uh, for, for the least of these. And then also realize, like Pontius Pilate, where have I washed my hands where I should have stayed engaged? And did I do it to, for my own safety or my own popularity? But notice that if, again, if, if you are willing to lose your life, willing to lose your safety, lose your popularity, lose your false unity, you can find the life that Jesus desperately desires for us to have. That's true for our society. Uh Jesus didn't die for racism. He didn't die for sexism. He didn't die for classism. But he did die so that we could have hope for a future without it. But it required a death. The whole story about Easter is, is about dying for access, right? Yes, we celebrate the access, but it's got to come with a death, right? The the 
the equation for resurrection is God's power and a dead body. <laughs> we know God's power hasn't changed, but are we like the people that Dr. King said that says when it's time to, to lay down the life for true justice, the applicants and the volunteers get thin? It's a lot of non, but it's not a lot of anti because the life of anti, again, basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. The life of anti is the life of subtraction, knowing that God will add, <laughs> right? But you still have to die to that. And so that's my encouragement for you all today. That's all that I have for you today uh, is as a, your truth teller in your life, I want you to extend the finish line. Before you wash your hands and leave, uh, I want you on Good Friday to say, because here's the thing. <laughs> This is the decision that Jesus had to make in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? He's praying and he's like, you know, I'm 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 not about <laughs> I'm not about separation from God. I want man to be restored. But the cross was a decision of anti-separation. Right? But he knew it required death and so he had to decide Am I willing to die? Am I willing to cross over from non to anti? And it still requires death today. If you're anti, if you're non-inequity in schools, if you're non-racist, if you're non-sexist, if you're non-classist, are you willing to make the sacrifices it takes to move from non to anti? Are you willing to invest your... Invest your time. Are you willing to send your children to a school? Are you willing to work in a school? Are you willing to uh, uh, be the light in the police department that opposes the blue wall? <laughs> Are you willing to do these things? Is the true uh, is the true call of the revolutionary? Uh, and may we not be like the people that Dr. King described that says that the count is too low. I believe that it is time for us to build an army of anti. So uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I know it, 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 it was perhaps a challenging episode, but, you know, this being the week of Good Friday, um, uh, we are to follow in our Savior in sacrificing so that resurrection can be real in the places that we long for it to be. It's not just enough to be non. Let's take the sacrifice and extend the finish line to be anti. Let's overcome evil with good and not just keep complaining about the evil. Alright, well, that's been episode number six, non-racist or anti-racist. Good Friday, Jesus and Stefan Clark. Uh, Hey, if this uh, provokes some thought for you guys, send me an email at a difference in thought at gmail.com. You can hit me up at Twitter, um, a different thought, A D I F F I N T H O U G H T. And as always, this is your host, Charlie Ray. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Uh, we're going to keep continuing and uh, rocking out with these episodes. Uh, next episode is going to begin the long-awaited and promised series, Fragility Has Consequences, which pretty much says uh, what happens when we stay in the area of non and avoid the conversations to lead us to anti. Has some bad consequences for our world, for our life, and for our society. But that's next time, so stay tuned. I love y'all. God bless y'all. Um, continue to observe Good Friday and consider... Uh, these thoughts all throughout Easter weekend and the rest of your life. This is your host, Charlie Ray. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.